Ryan, Tony, and Chris We can't guarantee that you're gonna look great. But if you wanna stay in shape, well, you better hit the Chinwits. Welcome to the Gym Wits Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic. And we are the Gym Wits. So uh, it, uh, I'm getting concerned. It's, it's getting cold. And, I know, um, right? You know, know it's it funny. Every cold. year, I, that's why like, I, always, I always add the caveat when, it get, when if I complain about the heat, like I'll take this over the cold weather because, sure. uh, you know, it, it's like this morning was, was uh, sweater it. weather. Yeah, that's it. And... And it's especially now more than ever, because like all, I'm exercising outdoors almost yep. exclusively. That's it. So Done. it's like, I'm really not more anxious than ever that it's going to be cold. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, their gyms are open, so I'll figure it out, but I'd rather not, you know, spend, I'd rather avoid spending time in the gym if I can. And of course. Um, I kind of like working out outdoors, yeah, especially no, in a mask. Have you, wor- have you worked out with the mask on yet? No, I haven't. Oh, it sucks. It's miserable. Oh, it's terrible. I know. Like, especially funny. any kind of cardio with a mask is just absolutely <laughs> brutal. Um, so, yeah. You should oh, yeah. make a mask that has more breathing you know, capabilities. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's kind of hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, another thing that's coming are the, um, uh, you know, the elections are obviously there. And we're not going to see a traditional debate yeah. like we normally would, right? Because obviously yeah. that's just not going to happen. Um, and debates are always a little bit uh, are a little funky anyway because they don't always ask the hard questions. They kind of suck. They kind of suck. But what yeah. if what what um what was being discussed was a a Joe Rogan moderated oh, you heard debate? About the, the, the Tim yeah. Kennedy like po- yeah. What would you think about that? Yeah, because it's a. I, Trump so, said he would do it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a you know. I don't think I don't know that a debate would work because I don't know how Rogan is as like a moderator for you a think debate. He would be fair. Like I don't. Be- I mean, no, no, no. It's not about being fair. It's about like. Hold on a second. Shit. Emily, relax. Sorry, you're gonna have to edit that. Uh, yeah. No, it's not. It's not about being fair. It's more that um, like you, when you're moderating a debate, it's like you have to stop people from speaking, you know, too long or staying on message or staying, you know, uh, you know, answering the actual questions. So where I think Rogan works, like, I, you know, with this podcast, I think I, I will listen based on the interview subject, yeah, but yeah. often like it's kind of hard to listen to regularly because he just he kind of talks about the same things. You kind of know what his agenda is generally. And he kind of, <laughs> sorry, Emily, hey, stop. Sorry, it's like crazy dog being crazy. Okay, let me see. Um, yeah, so no, it's not, you know, it's not about Rogan being fair or not. It's more that he, you know, moderating a debate is kind of a skill in itself because you're, you're, you know, stopping people from going over, you know, making sure people stay, you know, answer the actual questions. And not that moderators, uh, you know, on CNN or MSNBC or whatever do that well to begin with. But I just don't see, 
outside of the shock factor, I don't know that a, a Joe Rogan moderated debate would be good. But what I wouldn't mind would be just a long form what he normally does on his podcast. Because I think with the right interview subject, he does a pretty good job. You know, I've seen people say he doesn't ask hard hitting questions and whatnot. But like, he actually he's, he does a pretty good job of asking the questions that like the average person is going to want to know. And he'll push back on things. And, and he tries to you know, it seems like he's always trying to get an understanding of what the person's talking about. So I, it would be, I wouldn't mind actually seeing him interview each. I mean, look, at the end of the day, very few people are undecided about, about this election. You know, it's like, you, 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 know, I, I, you know, I'm shocked that there are that many that, that are, but most of us kind of know what we're going to do or which direction we're going. But I still think it would be, you know, it would be worth it to see him go. Which evil we're going to vote for. Yeah. Well, see, you know, I'm, I'm always like, I, like I'm, I, I, think, I think there are two problems with that. Um, you know, one, you know, one problem is, um, it makes kind of a bit of a false equivalency. Like if, it, you know, unless you genuinely think both are evil, it's like, it, it's a bit of a false More equivalency. Of a figurative think, sort of. Thing. Yeah. I, you know, I think at the end of the day, nobody trusts, like, I think ma- modern politicians are almost all with, with very few, with a few exceptions, you know, narcissists and self-interested and, and, you know, have their own kind of corporate agenda or, or corporate, you know, teats that they have to feed off of whatever so you know i feel like i don't really trust many of them and i think that they're really often in it for themselves but you have different levels where you know where some i think are are very obviously only out for themselves and and others you know at least you think maybe somewhat decent people but um but i still think you like you run into this problem if you just make it a false equivalency because then you make people apathetic about actually voting and so you have a situation you know, now where I do think like you have one person who I look, I uh, didn't vote. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't vote for Biden. Biden wasn't my second, third, fourth or fifth choice probably among the Democratic nominees, <laughs> but he's still far better than Trump. And I think Trump to me um, is an existential threat to our democracy. Yeah. So I, I think the, the, the threat, you know, in this case where you have quote two evils, it's not like if, if Republicans had ran like Romney or someone similar then it's like, all right, you know what? Like, is Romney that much different from Biden? Probably not. You know, Biden's a little more socially liberal, but like, you know, they're mostly the same, you know, one center left, the other one's on the right, maybe a little bit more, not even center left, like Biden's kind of right now in the center. But like, in this case, it's like, you know, I think Trump's like a threat that that, that needs to be taken out of uh, the office and uh, by all, any means. So I, I think that in that case, um, you know, saying it's two evils, I think then leads to some apathy, which I think we got last time around. So All right. makes my sense. opinion, but you know. yeah, no, I make, make, makes perfect sense. Yeah, Anyhow, so, so what do we have on the agenda for today? Yeah. So what do we have on the agenda today? Yeah. Now that we got the politics out of the, out of the way. Um, so we have actually an interesting interview. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, COVID-19 has dominated the, you know, has just dominated everything. Um, Oh, just and and about that, and I'm in Nashville now, yeah. and the our 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 mayor is being called the De Blasio of the South. So, <laughs> Why is that? Well, he did some he, he did some uh, some shady things. Like yeah. he he held back the um he held back information that uh, or supposedly so hold held back. Hold on, hold on one sec.
I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut that again. See, you no. fucked me up. So, um, no, fuck you. So, <laughs> so um, there we go. Uh, see, now I don't even know where to. No, we'll just say it, do it again. Say he's being called <laughs> the de Blasio of the South. So, yeah, yeah. And, and, and speaking of, um, yeah, speaking of COVID, the the mayor of Nashville is now being referred to as the um, the de Blasio of the South. <laughs> And supposedly he held back information about COVID, about the lack of transmission in bars and stuff like that, so that he could keep bars and restaurants closed, shut down. Oh. So I got to do my research on yeah. that. Okay. But um, supposedly he's been called that. And uh, it's weird. You know, which okay. is, I actually find pretty hilarious. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, we're going to see. The next, mo next month is going to be interesting because, like, as we. So we're recording a little bit before the interview we, or after the interview we did. But as we record right now, schools are opening up next week. So it's going to be an yeah, interesting yeah. time to see, you know, how, how that debacle, you know, because I'm still like I've talked about it before. I'm, I'm not convinced that it, this is going to go well. Oh, and um, just with what I what I'm hearing from teachers about um, how th how things are set up, it is it's sounding like it's just going to be a nightmare um, from from the get-go yeah, so i think so i'd be shocked if like schools aren't closed up again by november but you know the city you know it's crazy because in some ways the city's been amazing like we've handled it you know considering where we were in march and april like we've handled it brilliantly but like it just seems like we're we're heading for that second wave uh in a few weeks yeah um it's coming all right well yeah anyway so so as i was saying um so <laughs> with you know covid has been a big deal um and so we actually have a doctor who's who who has worked, you know, with patients um, and kind of can give us maybe some insight into, you know, how things have been, how things were, you know, during, you know, especially during, you know, the, the height of it, um, you know, and um, maybe share some advice for people who are, you know, looking maybe to avoid it or what to do if you get it, you know, so, so we have great interview, a lot of, a lot of interesting questions. Um, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it with Dr. Mark Kukuzela. I think I got the name right. Um, but yeah, without further ado, check out the interview. Hey everyone, we are here with Dr. Mark Kukuzela. Hey Mark, how's everything? Oh, everything's good. Dr. Kukuzela is a professor at West Virginia School of Medicine, so this is going to be uh, is going to be very exciting. Um, how, how are things down in? Uh, in uh, are, are you down in West Virginia? You mentioned that. Yeah, I'm part of West Virginia University. I live in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, mm. which is on the very eastern side. So. West Virginia has a weird shape to it. We have two panhandles, and I'm on the eastern panhandle. It's actually not too far from Baltimore or Washington, D.C. It's closer nice. there than our own state capital, which would take me about four and a half hours over, you know, single-lane country roads to get there. Nice, nice. <laughs> I, I just drove through West Virginia yesterday. Oh, no, oh, no. Wow. Yes, yes, it was yesterday and <laughs> stuff. I've done a lot of driving. I, I drove um, from Nashville to uh, New York, so West Virginia is part of the route. It's pretty. I wish I got a chance get a chance to see a little bit more than just the highway, though. So. Oh yeah, get off and uh, look at the rivers. You know, we've got some amazing mm -hmm. rafting here, some of the best mountain biking, hiking, outdoor experience. Are not crowded, so if you like social <laughs> distancing, come to West Virginia. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> social distance by nature you know, broke that. away from the Confederacy in 1864. So. That's it. That's it. So, so, uh, so whenever we start our podcast, like obviously we have a, a lot of really interesting uh, discussion for today, but we always like to get an idea of your own, your own fitness journey. So if you can give us a little bit of a, your own background, like are, do you play sports? Do you exercise? Like what do you, how, what's fitness to you and how do you kind of interact with, with, with it? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I'll give you the short version, but I actually wrote a book called Run for Your Life, published by Alfred Knopf two years ago. So my, my background in the military and in sports is I was a track runner all through school, ran at University of Virginia, ran cross country and track at, in college, and we didn't know anything about anything, you know, so had like every running injury known to man, you know, including bleeding ulcers from all the uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories they gave us for our injuries. Um, and the kind of mantra then was just break your body, you know, and that's kind of how we all, you know, work as hard as you can until you break, you know, heal, repeat. And, um, and it got me interested in medicine. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I entered college, but I was hurt so much. I started hanging out with this very kind of eccentric sports physician named Dr. Daniel Coland, who has also published a couple of textbooks, but he was a real innovator in running medicine. Like he would take an hour with you and do things like gait analysis. You know, it's like, wow, imagine that. Watch how you run and move, not just inject something. So I started shadowing him as like a third, fourth year uh, student in college, you know, junior, senior in college, and I got interested in medicine. It got me to apply to medical school. Um, didn't have any money for medical school, so so I saw this little flyer in the elevator, you know, don't have money for med school, you know, join the Air Force and we'll pay for your school. So I went that route, I applied for a military scholarship, so they covered my medical school tuition. And that led to a life kind of, uh, I, I do family medicine, flight medicine, which is kind of air crew operational stuff. So I dealt a lot with young active duty troops, you know, having injuries, sports injuries. Um, I pretty much sworn off competitive running until I got to med school and I realized that I did better in school when I ran. <laughs> so, you know, I probably, you know, going back to my childhood, I probably did have unmedicated ADD. I mean, they, my parents just opened the door and we would play like four to six mile games of tag in the backyard. And um, so I just start, I started running again just for the pure joy of running. And, and as a former competitor, you know, when you start running, you got to like line up for a race. So I lined up, ran the Marine Corps Marathon my first year of med school, um, really not trained at all in the standard way that I would think of training. And I ended up running like a 234, um, pretty decent time. And um, that kind of got the bug of running marathons in, in me because I was like a distance guy, ran 10K cross country. So just started running marathons a couple times a year, you know, ran, ran about 30 Boston marathons, a bunch of Marine Corps marathons in New York, just kept running these marathons. And um, the Air Force had a competitive team, so that was fun. So I kept my competitive juices running for the Air Force. They had what's called all Air Force teams. So amongst troops, we go travel and compete internationally. We compete with the other branches of the services. And that was kind of like my tribe. So, you know, you go and travel with your team. So it kept me young, you know, kept me playing, you know, kept you know, kept me competing. Um, about year 2000, I was trying to qualify for the Olympic trials marathon. I got pretty close, got, I needed a 222, ran a couple 224s, but I was constantly hurt. The main uh, injury I had was an injury to my foot, both feet, which was structural. I'd squeezed into track spikes so long, my big toe was bent in at about a 45 degree angle. So I ended up, you know, aborting that, you know, coming come a couple minutes from doing it. And again, I had operation, almost had sworn off running again, because, you know, the doc's opinion was, well, look at what it's done to you, it's kind of broken your skeleton, so don't run. And, and um, again, after a couple months off running after surgery, I, I missed running again. So I started to jog gently around my park in Denver, um, and then started to take my shoes off, <laughs> you know, just started to feel the ground. There was a, kind of a trend about running form and minimal running. So I started to dip into that. Again, I brought my running back and knock on wood. That was 20 years ago. That was my last running injury was at that time. But 
got me inspired to get back into competing again because I found I could now that my foot worked again I could run pretty well again and uh, started to teach for the Air Force I've developed a lot of curriculum for the US Air Force I'm actually flying to Portland this weekend to do some Air Force training because they have to pass a fitness test if, if the military you can't run unfortunately unless you have really a legitimate medical waiver you're discharged um, you know, I could imagine going into my hospital now and pass them applying a fitness test standard <laughs> to my hospital staff. We would lose like all the critical staff. So that's that was a lot of fun. Spent a lot of time just traveling around, listening to people, talking to people, learning from just like patients, learning from uh, active duty members about what are their barriers to fitness. And that's how I got into nutrition. You know, I, I had a six month assignment um, to helped redesign the running program. And I realized BMI was, was really the driver of it. And in medical school, all I had learned was, gosh, would, uh, eat less and exercise more. You know, that's how you lose weight. But I never saw that work in my clinical practice. But with six months assignment, I actually got to dig deep into that. And I uh, came across a couple things by Gary Taubes, who was an early writer of this. There's an article called, Maybe It's All Been a Big Fat Lie, which really changed my world because it led me to read his book. Um, which was called Good Calories, Bad Calories. This is about 2012. You know, not much written about low-carbohydrate diets, but basically it was a 450-page scientific tome on the history and politics of nutrition. And I started traveling to Air Force bases and asked people, anyone in the room lost 50 pounds and kept it off? And this was the response. You know, I went to, I don't know, 40 or 50 bases, you know, all over the world traveling. You know, maybe one hand would go up. I thought, what did you do? And they, Across the board, it was a different language of a similar theme because no one was talking like LCHF or keto. They'd say, well, I got rid of all the sugar. You know, well, I did paleo. And at that time, paleo was not like junk food paleo. It was basically eating vegetables, <laughs> maybe some fish on the side and you know, maybe some full fat dairy. And occasionally I'd have someone have the guts to say this. It's usually a, a dude. They're pretty gutsy. They raised their hand and kind of like, if there was a doctor, I thought I was going to yell at them. They would say this, well, I, I did this thing called <coughs> Atkins, and then and they, they'd say it, I did Atkins. There was this kind of bro science world of people to lose weight, get rid of the carbs, you know, just go low carb. Um, and Gary Taubes' work really validated, and obviously since 2012, it's taken off. And at the same time, I was diagnosed with a type of diabetes called maturity onset diabetes of youth. So I, a problem of not making enough insulin. So I was actually nearly medically discharged for diabetes. So I did hard lockdown in 2012 of carbohydrates my own life. And, you know, I, I was a runner, right? So, so I thought, oh gosh, you know, you gotta, I was eating cereal like six times a day because that's what I thought. So that I like went complete food pyramid upside down in a matter of a couple weeks and um, now feel great. So I've been on low carb diet now for eight years still run marathons, ultra marathons. So that's kind of the short story. Teach a lot of people, individualizing therapy, have a medical practice designated, reducing medication and type two diabetes and obesity through low carbohydrate diets. Because it is a massively powerful medical intervention for the well, right group. So, um, yeah, oh, yeah, you could you ask Justin. Yeah. And I was gonna say, yeah, and we could definitely have, we could definitely do uh, two interviews based on on all, on all the diet and nutrition <laughs> stuff, or the fit, or are people running. fit, yeah, fit like enough, or the running. That's three different. That's three different ones. But right, yeah. yeah. So I was going to ask about COVID, right? Yeah. But the metabolic stuff and the low carb diets massively 
engaged with COVID. Yeah. So yeah, we definitely have to have to have it on again just to talk about this other stuff. Um, so let's. Uh, so I was going to ask this later, but this it ties into the running. So um, I'll ask now, and it does tie into COVID. Um, so obviously, you know, with, especially in a bigger city like New York, we've we've had a massive lockdown. Um, you're really hard to go into gyms. I think a lot of people are going to be afraid to go into gyms, and so there has been you know push for outdoor training. Um, how you know for, for someone who is a runner, and and with running being you know one of the things you can you know almost anybody can do outdoors. Um, it, you know, how safe is it to do it outdoors? Are there kind of what are best practices for runners? Um, does wearing a mask affect you? You know, kind of what what is what have you experienced as somebody who's an expert on running and also is dealing with COVID? Sure story there. For what we know about COVID and everything any of us says about COVID has error bars. Right? Yeah. There's something. The safest place to be is outside. Period. So mm-hmm. yes, the safest place to be is outside. Preferably not at a party with a bunch of other. 20-something sharing margarita shots, right? So that's not outside. That's gathering. So um, we posted three running camps this summer. You know, kids, right? Youths, phase kids out. They are so grateful just to see other kids. So that's physical distancing, not social distancing. So we're doing group runs here. You know, we're not hugging each other and kissing each other. We go on a trail. We're spread out. Airborne transmission outside while you're moving in open air, sunshine, wind. There hasn't been case reports of this. You know, there, it's, it's almost non-existent. So if you look at the most unsafe place is, unfortunately, it's poverty. Inside, you know, communities of color, and I've written articles about this, we have 10 people living in a single-bedroom apartment, you know, with a window air conditioning unit, and one of them's going to a high-risk job. You know, maybe they're working at a hospital, working at a grocery store. So those are the riskiest scenarios, is indoor transmission, because no one's wearing the masks inside. But outdoor, whether you're just walking in the park, you're at Central Park, you know, doing a gym workout, doing a CrossFit workout outside on park benches, you know, as long as you're safely distanced from people, that is the safest place to be. And the best thing about that, you know, Ryan, Justin, Tony, is because this is protecting your host. So if your host is healthy, that's you, your odds of getting coronavirus is lower. So you can hide from the virus or you can protect the host, meaning get yourself well and healthy. And that's the opportunity now because this is the COVID marathon, so to speak. Right. So we know this is not going away. Marathon. The marathon's 26 miles. And I, I would guess, meaning, you know, error bars. I, would, I don't know. Maybe you guys chime in. Maybe we're at mile two. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. It's, it seems like it. I, th- I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think maybe mile two at, at best. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think uh, you know, the, so maybe <laughs> <one>. <laughs> yeah. no, it, yeah, se- it seems early. Get yeah. your shit in gear, right? Well, no, so I guess getting to that, um, so what you know, I guess that's the, the challenge because I think we're, we're what is the what can you do to protect the host? Like, what's the what are some yeah, you know yeah. best practices for that? Like, how do we manage best that? Because practice. yeah, it does seem like you know, it, it you don't want to say it's inevitable that you know any everyone's going to get it, but you know, we're, we're still looking at you know, if, if the you know, especially here where it seems like you know, states and cities are really trying to get things going on some level while managing it, and, and you know, before we have we don't have a vaccine, and even when we do, it's probably going to take a while for you know, it, it, for kind of herd immunity from it. Um, what do you what can you do to, pr- to uh, protect your um, to protect the host? Yeah, and this really doesn't have a whole lot to do with athletics, right? And so you know, I've partnered with Atkins for some initiatives just trying to help people's metabolic health. And the number one lowest hanging fruit is get rid of sugar in your diet. You know, so the World Health Organization recommends maybe six teaspoons of sugar is the most you'd 
ever apply to a, a living human being, um, less than children. And one carton of chocolate milk, which we give to kids in school, per the U.S. dietary guidelines, allows, you know, kids get free school lunch, has six to seven teaspoons, just in that one carton of chocolate milk, which they have two a day. So all the processed refined carbohydrates, which we would call junk food, most people kind of know what that is, stuff in bag. So if you get rid of that, you're going to improve your metabolic health, because we know that insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, pre-diabetes, you know, these are the comorbidities, obesity, that increase your odds of ending up in the ICU with COVID. You know, so right now there's a lot of cases going on, but a lot of these are in well people that really have no symptoms. You know, they probably are carrying some fragment of the virus in their nasal pharynx, but we don't really know what, does that really mean anything to you or anyone else out there? But we know that if you as an individual have these comorbidities and you are exposed to COVID, your innate and adaptive response is off, your cytokine storm, so these markers, uh, you know, these just processes that happen when exposed to a virus, kind of like a little fire in the fireplace versus houses on fire. So I wrote an article on this, just a multitude of different pathways that if you have insulin resistance, it'll go haywire. So food is really key, and, you know, but other things too. So sleep, you know, trying to get, maybe some of us are getting more sleep now. Like I probably am, because I don't have to get my kids up for school. You know, they're virtualing it. So yeah, it's, it actually gives an hour back in the day. Um, in the morning. So some of you are not driving two hours to work. So use that to your advantage for sleep and exercise. Stress reduction, important. And then, you know, your uh, podcast focuses on movement, you know, so that any movement, right, preferably outside, you get that vitamin D too. So movement, you know, old school movement, you know, just walking places, you know, park your car, you know, walk now because it's safer outside. You know, don't take public tram, you know, just walk from, especially if you live in New York City, you know, just you know, put on your walking shoes and, and hop it. But those are some key, key things. But each individual needs to know where their weak spot is, right? Train for your weakness. Gosh, I'm eating junk food. I have diabetes. Food's the big rock. Okay, I've been a desk uh, jockey for the last five years and I'm completely out of shape. You know, maybe I need to, you know, go to the outdoor gym, which could be just, you know, chopping wood in your backyard if you live in West Virginia. You know, so our state's like a big outdoor gym. It's kind of fun fit. So, it, so, so you're saying basically making yourself as healthy as possible yeah, is, yeah. Is, is the best treatment, but I, I'm, and, and that, that sound, and, and, and it, that sounds logical. And, it, and it's something that I think we've been on the, on the gym with that we've been preaching for years, just in general for a healthier quality of life. And it just be, being in better overall health just is going to is going to help with everything, right? It's almost, it's never negative. But so I, I'm, I'm wondering uh, about the treatment, because this is something that's a bit of a mystery to, to most of us, is uh, about, about, actually, uh, about uh, medical treatments. Is, is there treatment right now? Like if you, if you are going to a, to a hospital, if you're going to a, uh, in a intensive care, right? What, what, ha like what, what, what happens when you, when you go in, is, the, is there any treatment? Do you, um, I know you hear about yeah. people being hooked up to a respirator, you know, which is, seems like a, t a, a you know, a terrible punishment for someone, but, um, what, what happens if you are brought into a, if you are, do you have to go to a hospital or are, are there also some other treatments that people might take at home if they are diagnosed with, um, you know, with, with COVID. Yeah, so the, the best uh, treatment is prevention, of course, so the, the more well yes. you are. 
but if you're actually are admitted and you're super sick, you know, there's again, the evidence is all over the place, but early use of hydroxychloroquine probably has some efficacy unless you have a hearty rhythmic condition. So no kidding, if I was for some reason about ready to kind of go down the tubes with, with COVID, you know, I probably would take it. Again, there'd probably be no downside for me as an individual on that high dose steroid controversy because steroids an immune suppressor, but it can also kind of suppress the cytokine storm. So that's kind of plus minus. Certainly oxygen, you know, avoid being on a ventilator. So high flow oxygen, there's really no downside to that. Um, standard ICU management of fluids, electrolytes, um, get your sugars under really good control. So we know there's been a couple really good articles and this, this happens with any intent, I work intensive care here at my hospital. So if people have erratic blood sugars, highs and lows and their sugars aren't well controlled, their outcomes are worse because multitude of complications can happen. You know, so if you hit the hospital and you have diabetes, certainly don't be drinking the soda at your hospital. We, we actually got rid of all soda at my hospital here, all sugar sweetened drinks for patients, staff, visitors. We're one of the few hospitals that, that made that initiative because that, that's something that would be kind of a, a, a toxin if you have COVID, be a, a sugar boost, you know, something like that. You know, someone says this is a protein drink, but it's got 50 grams of carbohydrate. You know, if you have a low carb shake, you know, with no added sugar, you know, say you had like an Atkins shake or, a, uh, you know, another one is Ensure Protein Max, which no sugar in it. You know, just have one of these non-sugar shakes if you just need some protein, but you just can't eat for some reason. But get rid of the sugar, be another treatment, meaning get a toxin could affect you negatively. So, so you mentioned hydroxychloroquine, and that's been, I guess, very, pretty controversial over the last, uh, you know, since, you know, for the last few months. So, what about some of the like the research that shows it either, you know, potentially causing harm? Like, how do you, what, what, what have you, like, what do you know about it? And as far as like, what I guess your experience with treating people, but also, like, what about the kind of conflicting research about its its efficacy and, and whether or not it's actually safe for some people. Yeah, so efficacy, so again, look up the articles. So there's articles pointing to favor of it and those saying uh, no efficacy. Yeah. So right now, if you're otherwise pretty well, don't have a heart arrhythmia condition and you're in a hospital that can monitor that, you know, my hypothesis would be go ahead and use it. Um, but again, you're going to have that debate with people. I think there's very little downside to it, you know, if you're using it early. So perhaps this isn't your, your expertise, but maybe you could speak a little bit on it if, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you feel comfortable with that. People, I've heard some people say, why is there a vaccine? You know, how, how hard is it to make a vaccine for this? You know, why do we have to, why is it going to take so long? If, uh, maybe, if you maybe speak to that a, a little bit. Yeah, and that's a great question too. So it's the you know, go back to like polio where the whole country is like triple down, right? March of dimes, every single person donating every nickel and dime they had to this cause. You know, you're looking at four to five years. So I think it's probably a little too optimistic to think in like six months, 12 months, we're going to have a vaccine that's going to be efficacious for the risky, meaning that we're not testing this vaccine yet on people with diabetes, metabolic disease, heart disease. You know, is, the vi is a vaccine going to take the same in those people as 20-somethings who are volunteering, you know, phase two trials, maybe phase three going on now? So, and then does the vaccine pro provide a longer-term immunity to this? So I think there's a lot we're going to learn. 
but it's not going to be a slam dunk in six months. And then supply. So think you, you need to vaccinate the entire planet. <laughs> so, yeah, this is not, this is going to be an economic equation too, plus a production equ equation, you know, who can, you know, depending on the technology and what type of, of vaccine it is. So again, going back, you know, until that happens, protect the host, which yeah. is you. I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm optimistic that we will have some vaccine, but we're not going to know probably a couple years into using it how efficacious it is, meaning is it effective and does it have downsides? You know, okay, so 1% side effect in college kids testing it, but then I go to the nursing home and give it yeah. and oh, wow, different, totally different clientele. And they're the ones who really get sick and die of COVID. So the people yeah. that other, you know, the, the college football team now that has a couple cases, I'm not worried about them. They're not, they don't even know they have it, right? They're just getting screened. Yeah. So, so this group, I'm not that concerned about. Now, if they're going home to live with grandma, maybe, but if they're just, you know, living in their dorm, it's probably all fine. Um, but interacting with, with a, a vulnerable population, which in our country, Justin, and unfortunately, you know, three quarters, two thirds, whatever number you want to look at is overweight, obese. You know, so that right there is not a small minority of people. So there's a large group of vulnerable people out there. So there's that, that chance that, it, that introducing a vaccine could co almost cause more harm. Is, I know that we've heard that can, debate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't know yet. Yeah, yeah, so the vaccine, so say you have a vaccine to provide protection for something that has very little odds of, of killing you, but the vaccine itself kills 2% of people. You're like, okay, maybe that's not a good trade-off. Yeah. Maybe I can just protect the care home, right? Don't use masks, wash hands. Maybe, maybe that layer of, it's like a Swiss cheese, right? You know, you wash your hands, you wear a mask, keep people somewhat isolated. If COVID's circulating highly, like states like Florida and Georgia now, you would like, like double down to protect the care home. You know, you're in New York, right? So in New York, the cases, I think there were a couple of days there were like no new cases in New York. So now you could probably go visit grandma in the care home and not feel like, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring this in. You know, there's a lot of that fear. You know, people are afraid to visit their grandparents, but that's going to be state by state, county by county, you know, based on the prevalence of the virus that you could be asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic. You know, if your circulation is near zero, your odds of bringing this in anywhere is near zero. If it's 20%, some counties in Florida, look at those maps, and it's like dark red. <laughs> those are the areas that schools can be a little more risky. Not so much to the kids in school, but to the teachers and people that are living with them at home. Yeah. So now, I guess an interesting thing. So you mentioned earlier, um, you know, kind of the I, I forget the wording, but basically, like, like the the information on this is kind of fluid. Like we're always getting new information, and there's no, you know, I think it's interesting because like we're people are witnessing science being done in real time. We're often, you know, in a way that we we don't see it and so things are constantly changing um we get new information you know one thing is it works then it doesn't work um you know initially it was like wash your hands and now it's not as much washing i mean not that you shouldn't wash your hands but it seems that wearing masks is, is and everybody wearing you know kind of need everybody to wear a mask and, and and you know things just constantly change and so for the average person who maybe isn't super science and most people aren't really scientifically literate um you know because it's not your job and you have other things to do but how do you how do how should the average person kind of manage the the constantly changing information and what are some of the best ways for somebody to kind of figure out what's right what's not you know what should i be paying attention to how should i 
you know, critically, you know, look at what's coming in because there's so much thing and even, you know, not, not getting political, but it's become politicized in a lot of ways. So how do you oh, kind of fight all of that, you know, all of that information and what's coming in, in order to kind of make the best choices for yourself? Yeah, it's a powerful question because there's a lot of fear. The media drives a lot of the fear um, and a lot of misinformation. So I think if a media headline says, an article says this, you have to go read the article. This is what we do with our medical students. You know, there was an article like last week about, you know, the, those buff masks or just, you know, your face masks, you know, saying that they're not useful. And, and the test, the study didn't even look at that and it wasn't a double layer. You know, it, it wasn't looking at any disease transmission. It was basically looking at a method for testing aerosolized particles. But then the media catches something. So if you're a writer and you have a headline that's catchy or controversial, you're, you know, you're article is going to get what do you call it little hits on the internet and um you know maybe you get a little more freelance dollars but certainly a lot of the information coming out of washington is very filtered you know so you know gosh february we don't need to worry about this <laughs> you know it's going to go and this was coming from the cdc and medical authorities you know public health the department of public health you know the surgeon general you don't need to wear masks so again i think we all just need to be extremely humble about you know, everything we say, everything we listen to has error bars. So it comes back down to the things that I think are safely true are protect yourself, get healthy, do the common sense things to protect yourself and the loved ones around you, you know, which is wear a mask. There's no downside. The things that have very little downside, like Justin saying, we I mean, have been preaching about just get your body healthy. I mean, there's no downside to eating real food, not eating junk food, getting outside and exercising, getting sleep trying to reduce your stress you know but there's huge economic stress now if you've lost your job um and uh you know just follow i think if someone has something that's dramatically different from common sense then you know be careful there too common well, sense. often said that common sense is not always that common yeah again I'm just like, yeah, we, we started here. I own a little running store and we started giving out masks free to the community, like in late March, because it was just the right thing to do even before the CDC and all. It's like, well, there's no downside to this. Yeah. When you put up a little clothesline outside my store, you know, if you make masks, you can donate them. If you want to take one, take them just to kind of, you know, let people just feel there were a lot of people at that time wanting to do something. They're sitting at home. They have maybe some sewing skills and they like, can I do something for the community? And it's, yeah, make masks. We'll hang them up outside our store. You know, then people can come grab one. You know, we probably given away two, three hundred masks that way. So here's something that's been legitimately worrying me. Um, we're it's we're now in August, which means we're we're, we're getting dangerously close to, to storm season. And as it always does, there's going to be hurricanes. There's going to be things that hit the U.S. Um, and what what can we do to, to mitigate some really potentially terrible things that could happen if, say, a, a bad storm hits Florida and there, you have to have mass exodus, as, as we've seen in the last few years where people have to evacuate and you're getting lots of people perhaps need to be housed in a in shelters like it's yeah. a terrible problem, you know, it's, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's happening in California right It's now. happening in California, yes. Right so, like, California. I, I mean... I know it's, 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 an, it's, you know, everything has a trade off, right? So my house burned down, you know, or I need to protect myself 
from fire, which is probably a little more of a short-term risk to you <laughs> than COVID, especially if you're well. I mean, go camp outside, right? If the weather's fine, you know, don't go into the school yeah, gymnasium yeah. with 300 other people. But um, again, apply the same, do the best you can in the situation you're presented yeah. with. It's huge stress, yeah. So, you know, I'm not sure what they're doing in California. You could probably look that up, you know, in the New York Times today. You know, are they setting up, you know, kind of camps for people? Like I, I trained at Travis Air Force Base, which is right at, outside of Vacaville. And I'm looking at pictures of, of where I used to just, I lived there, right? I lived, and it's like, holy cow, I-80. And there's like flames and car, and it's like crazy. And fires hopping I-80, massive highway in California. People are, I think that whole town got evacuated so probably the hospital i worked at the air force base is probably setting up some kind of shelter there because military bases tend to be you know kind of good open space safe haven but um the weather's good you know camp people outside you know like the summertime maybe you can but it's 130 degrees in some places in california right now yeah. <laughs> so maybe not there so as a, like, I have a question, I, mean, I don't know how much um, this is something you, you can speak towards or, or, or you know, if, if your expertise lies in here, but I guess even just your opinion as somebody who's dealt you know, directly with, with, with COVID, um, what is your opinion on kind of schools reopening, especially in a city, you know, in a larger city like New York? I think that's big, been the big debate because we're doing, obviously we're doing really well, all things considered, especially with how bad things were um, not too long ago. Um, but it's kind of my fear, my wife's a teacher and, you know, her fear that when schools open up, it, it could present a massive problem and we could see that second wave that, that we've been able to avoid. Um, like, I guess, what's your, you know, what, what are your thoughts? Do you have any uh, on whether, you know, is it the risk reward for it, whether it's worth mm -hmm. it? whether it's worth it to just wait until you know a little bit give it a little bit longer yeah i'd love to hear your thoughts on this yeah it's a great question and again this is where individual informed it's like when i talk to patients it's called shared decision making and informed decision making so it's it's kind of like like maybe a speed limit you know it, you know kind of letting off the brakes a bit so if, if the speed limit was five miles an hour we'd have no auto accidents right there'd be zero auto mortality probably pretty close to zero maybe someone go into a ditch or something you just have a lot but of road not, rage though <laughs> yeah a lot of road rage yeah, so yeah that's the downside right but you wouldn't get any food right or you couldn't get to work and if you you know set it at 100 miles an hour you know things are going to go off the rails maybe the other direction so each person has to set that for themselves so in our community now in west virginia parents of school-age kids are offered the two options so i i agree we need to get kids back in school they're not the ones who are going to end up in the icu for the most part i mean i think this year there's maybe 90 coronavirus deaths in children now that nine that's a real 90 right so if that's your kid that's huge right but influenza last winter had about 200 pediatric deaths so i mean automobile wrecks so, so kids drown in the summer so there is some risk but the risk of a child contracting this and ending up in the ICU is, is low it's not zero but no kidding these kids are having depression you know they're getting but the kids who have no internet connection you know, no food in the home these kids are getting behind so it's probably if the longer this goes out it's going to create a, a bigger kind of dichotomy of the kids with means and the kids with some privilege and those who are already starting in their own end zone because those kids are going to fall further and further behind younger kids i can't admit my kids are teenagers so they've been able to engage through this virtual platform they don't love it but they're managing but 
you take like a first or second grader and sit them behind a Zoom screen all day, they need the socialization, they need the movement. So, and again, you have to look at your local virus circulation and who lives with you at home. You know, if you live in a multi-generational home and you have a big tight school because like the air uh, standards in schools, meaning like, can you open the windows? Can you get good airflow? That's gonna vary from school to school. You know, if you have a big open school, a lot of windows, you can space kids out, like maybe a rural school, that's gonna be so different than like a really tight school in New York City that has like a window air conditioning unit, trying to figure it out then. So get informed and just make, feel good about your decision. Don't let someone else pressure you to make a decision. So, but get good information, talk to friends about you know, what your fears are, make sure that fear is a rational fear. But a lot of the states now are making that decision easy for people because they're, they're shutting schools. But um, my state right now is one of, I'm not sure how many, maybe half the states now are trying to go back, give the option of in-person school, you know, in some shape or form, whether it's staggered, spread out. So if I had a second grader right now where I live, I would let them go to school where I live. Yeah, it definitely probably depends. Yeah. Um, I know we have to wrap up soon, but I am curious to know, like, if someone does feel like, what are some symptoms they should look out for? What are the most common or uncommon? But, and then just knowing that, like, there's, I feel like um, supplement companies and um, home remedies, like people are trying to help, like, fight it off or to heal like what would you say to things like even basic things like I think of like elderberry syrup right like some basic things that people use to help when they feel like they're getting sick and now they go for an auto like a, an immune boosting boosting supplement or vitamin c or zinc like I know some of them are supportive with science and then some maybe not so much so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that yeah there's treatment of severe illness so I mean there's a little bit of efficacy in otherwise severe sepsis with high dose vitamin C. Then there's other studies showing maybe not, there's probably no downside to that. So that's treatment. And as far as supplements for the general population, so supplements are things that you need to add if you can't get it in a normal healthy diet of real food. So if you are a vegan or vegetarian, you have difficulty with iron and B12. Um, so if that's your eating pattern, then you probably do need to supplement some of those things. If you're eating really a whole food diet, including animal products and vegetables, you know, eggs are just magical. There's nothing really you're missing in that. So you don't need to sup supplement. Now, vitamin D is another story. So vitamin D really is more of a hormone, which is uh, converted by the sun in our skin. So I think if you live north uh, and you have mostly indoor work, it's probably a good idea to get a vitamin D level because you know you could just put it into your PubMed or your Google Scholar, vitamin D and COVID. The low vitamin D status is associated with worse outcomes. We don't know if it's causative or just other things travel with that. So again, that, that's probably a good baseline because that is something that you know, if you're low, you might need supplementation. But if you're fine on vitamin D, say you live in Florida and you, know, you have an outdoor lifeguard job, you're, you're probably just fine in your vitamin D. It only takes about 10 minutes of direct sunlight in a day to get about 5,000 international units of vitamin D. But a lot of us don't get that because we're inside all day. You know, we have desk jobs. Might get up early in the morning to run. That's my life. I get up early, early to run. So I'm not out in direct sunlight in the day. So I do take a vitamin D supplement just to, for maintenance. 
Okay, so there's nothing to support things like elderberry syrup or... Nothing that's in the mainline medical literature. Is there any downside to that stuff? Really no, because that's, again, like there's no harm to that other than it's going to cost you some money. So extra zinc, you know, vitamin C packets. There's probably isn't any real downside to that as long as you don't like massively overdose on the stuff. Yeah. Um, But the best plan is just, you know, eat real food. And human diet really includes animal products because that is your full, complete high quality proteins, you know, meaning the full spectrum of amino acid is something like an egg, super high quality protein, um, the fat soluble vitamins. So getting fat with all the vegetables, you know, good vegetables travel with fat, right? That's how we absorb these nutrients, micronutrients better, you know, put olive oil on your salad. Yeah. Good. Or your meals always contain, you know, some type of protein fat with, you know, the carbohydrate food, if you have it, which should be a non-starchy vegetable. So, um, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up, but I, I, I like to tell people, I always say, look, we, we survived the middle ages, a plague, multiple world wars, you know, potential nuclear, you know, disaster, you know, it just, we, we've been through a lot, you know, as, um, you know, as, as a species, do, do you have any words of optimism that people that, you know, are, that are stressed and are living in fear right now? Yeah, my optimism is I I would hope that this is going to be a a huge shot of awareness to our poor metabolic health as a nation. So if we're going to prepare for the marathon here, which we're in the middle of, first two miles, and the next one, right, there's going to be another one. You know, the UK is, just look at what Boris Johnson is doing right now. So he's like all out frontal assault on sugar because he ended up, he's the prime minister, he ended up in the ICU. And so he's like, okay, we got to go after obesity in this country, right? It's just like preparation, you know, so that's, that's what we need to focus on now because we're, we could wait for a vaccine, but that's probably not going to be the holy grail we all are hoping it will be. And then there's going to be another coronavirus or another influenza virus. You know, there's going to be something else which is going to circulate. And again, hit those. The more our population is unhealthy, the more it becomes a national pandemic, you know, or pandemics international, but just a crisis. So if we had a completely uber well society right now, we wouldn't be having this conversation about coronavirus. It would just be like anything else that's going through, you know, yes, yeah, some people get sick, it's, but we're not locking down society. We're not losing jobs. You know, about it, kids aren't like staying at home. We wouldn't, it'd be, yeah, I mean, things circulate all the time, but this wouldn't be something that's a huge outlier in our national response to it. Get healthy. <laughs> and that's not difficult. Yeah. Well, the, that, that's great. So um, we'd love to have you back on at some point to talk running, to talk metabolic health. Um, this was a great chat. Um, can, where can people find you? Um, if people want to get, read, read more of your stuff or, you know, you, are you on social media? Do you have a website? Like where's the best place for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, I have a website called Dr. Mark's Desk. And um, that can link to my book also. I have a lot of resources on my book's website, a lot of movement stuff, a lot of running videos, you know, training videos. That's called runforyourlifebook.com. Um, if you live near West Virginia, I have a store, Two Rivers Treads. It's a, uh, we teach a lot of biomechanics movement in the store. So good place to visit. So yeah, Dr. Mark's desk will link to all those things. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Pusella, for coming on. It's been great, really great information. And um, yeah, we're, yeah, definitely you are welcome back on the Gym Wits anytime. Pick another one of those topics. Yeah, there's there's plenty of them. Awesome.
Sweet. All right, well, great to have you on. We'll talk to you soon. So, yeah, it was an interesting interview. I, I think there was one you know, detail that that Tony and me a little bit uh, took issue to, and it's that um, he spoke a lot about uh, you know obesity and getting COVID. And, well, two things. First off, that it was a little, it might have been a little confusing. He never said that being obese will lead to you getting COVID, although it might have sounded like that, just to, to, to clear that up. What I think he was talking a lot about that if you get COVID and you are obese, that you have a, a better chance of having serious symptoms. Yeah. yeah well, so and, yeah, you want to say something? Yeah, I was gonna say so. So again, a little inside baseball. We this this podcast being released has been a nightmare. Um, yeah, we, we, we've recorded intro and outro to this multiple times. Uh, we lost stuff. So obviously, you have not heard Tony on the intro and outro. Um, that's because uh, Tony is not here today, and we had recorded it already. That got it disappeared into the ether. Um, yeah. But I think so. Tony's issue, um, which again, I think is more of a mis maybe a bit of miscommunication. I think there were a couple of areas um, which we didn't, we, should, we, you know, we didn't have enough time to really address with the doctor, but I think it was more just like a bit, just like not aligning. And I, I hopefully I can kind of bridge that gap a little bit. So I think there was one thing that we were talking a little bit about is just like kind of the, the low carbon, no carbon. I think that, that her philosoph- philosophically, I think is, a, is, is, is against the idea of like kind of sticking to the no carb diet or low, very low carb diets, um, which is something he was talking about that not unrelated to COVID largely. Um, but that's a more of like, I mean, yeah, like we spoke about that at the length. science, but we've talked right. about that as you, as you hate I, that I say ad nauseum <laughs> <laughs> and you can listen to any of our other podcasts to, to get that. So I think that's more of like, there are some people who it works well for it. There are other people who it doesn't. Um, I am always of the side of, um, you know, and I think Tony, would agree is if you're if you're going to you know change your eating habits or quote unquote diet that it should be something sustainable um and so generally like a low carb thing is not long-term sustainable which is which is where it presents the challenge now for some people it is but i'd say for most people it isn't but i you know it, it's not to say whether one is right or one is wrong or there's not science to back anything up um i think the second area um which was more about the weight connecting to you know kind of how you're you know basically that that losing weight can potentially help you um you know have better outcomes when it comes to covid and and in this area i think i agree you know definitely agree with with dr martin or dr kukuzela and uh you know it, it just in that this kind of statistics bear it out so i think tony had a little bit of an issue with um you know that if you're you know if you're overweight you're you're le- more likely to to deal you know go to be hospitalized and you know mortality goes up um and you know i think in this case it's not a situation of kind of shaming people who are overweight but it's just like the stats are you know if you're obese um you know that that is a very you know that is one of the things that you're looking we're looking at as far as um you know whether or not you're going to you know how what your mortality levels hospitalization levels um and so you know he, I, you know at the end of the day like you just look at the stats he's right you know the, if, if you're you know it, you know age plays a role um you know obviously there you know if you're immunocompromised it plays a role um and and weight can play a role too so you know it, it we always kind of have to be careful because we don't want to you know you don't want to shame people for being overweight and you don't want to put it in that way but and so i think that was where there's more just a bit of a disconnect um but it's like the you know i think it's one of the things that yeah if, if you're obese you know you you you're potentially going to have to deal you know dealing with other issues um you know where 
you know, it's like anything, you, you do what you can to try to stay healthier and to have a lot of people say, you know, exercise obviously helps with the immune system. Um, eating healthy is going to help, um, you know, taking good care of yourself, obviously practicing, you know, proper social distancing where, you know, you, you, you don't want to get it. Um, but if you do, you, there are some steps you can take to, to try to help mitigate that. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, we're, we're all kind of in this together and doing what we can. So, you know, like I said, I don't think... It sucks to have to speak for her, but we want to get this podcast out. Um, and I, I think, think that, that, that was Tony like was just, I, I think that, that it, an issue that Tony had was that he, or he might've come off sounding like if you are obese and you are a hundred percent not healthy. And there are people that I, are overweight and that are obese agree. that are, that are healthy. Yeah, that, no, 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 just I, because you are obese doesn't mean yeah, you are unhealthy. No, no, I, I disagree. Okay. So I only, I, I would only say I never got that feeling that he was saying that. Okay. Like, I, Cause you're right. Like uh, we, we know that there, you know, there, you're not necessarily quote unhealthy, you know, if you're, if you're overweight. Um, but you know, so, but it's still, you know, it is a, you know, it's a risk factor. Like if you're, you know, if we're looking at, you know, you know, symptoms of dealing with COVID, like if you're, you know, if you're obese, like it, it is, you know, it's, it's a factor. And, and so, um, you know, we don't want to hide that, you know, for the sake of being kind of politically correct, you know, at the end of the day. So, uh, you know, like I said, I, I think, um, but I didn't get that feeling, but okay. again, that's just my, my opinion. I, you know, okay. I could have, you know, if, if, if there are a million ways to read how, what someone say, says, and especially when you're talking about something as broad, like we're saying a lot in a short period of time. So um, it's easy for things to get misconstrued, but yeah, I don't, I, I didn't get that, that feeling that he was like, yeah, you know, like anybody that's overweight is, is unhealthy. No, that's obviously not the case. We know, you know, plenty of people who are, who maybe are, you know, look, I'm quote, quote overweight. If you just look at BMI, like, so wow. you know, just, it doesn't, um, yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know. So I just wanted to make, you know, I, like it, it, it did a patchwork job of trying to recreate some of the discussion we had in the outro before it got deleted multiple times. <laughs> but uh, I guess uh, that is it. Um, you know, as usual, uh, you can find all of our stuff at the gymwits.com, um, social media, or, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff there. Um, rate us if you haven't um, on Apple Podcasts. Um, and that's it. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Son- Sonic, reminding <laughs> that truth does not sell. And we are the Gymwits. <laughs> <laughs>